Hi, everyone. My name is Jim Woods, and I've been coming to Faith E-Free for about six years, and I serve on the tech team here. And this morning, we're going to be reading out of 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. This is God's word. Thanks, Jim. It's good to see all of you here today. It's good to have those of you joining us in the venue, as well as those of you who are joining us online. I'd like to pray one more time before we uh, turn to the word. Heavenly Father, we bring ourselves to you today, and we come and praise you. We do so um, because you're worthy. We thank you for the, the teams that lead us in worship each week. We thank you for the songs that allow us to express things that we probably would not think to express to you, these deep truths that we believe with all our hearts. And so accept our praises. God, we come to you, Uh, some of us are very distracted, perhaps some have had very chaotic weeks, perhaps some are entering this place with troubled hearts and uh, can barely pay attention. And so God, we, we bring you ourselves, what else can we do? We bring you ourselves and we invite you to calm our troubled hearts, to uh, focus our minds. God, we pray that today we would hear your word, we would hear your voice, we might be nourished, that we might be uh, warned, that we might be comforted by it. And so, God, we look to you now. We trust that you will speak here in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been in a series in First John since March. Next week, Brian will land the plane. We'll, uh, he'll do the very last verse where John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Today we're going to consider the passage that Jim read, and you may have noticed that in each of the three verses, John said, we know, we know, we know. And so he's appealing to his readers, and he's saying, these are things that we all know. These are our common convictions. And so today, we want us to consider the possibility that we as a church will make these our common convictions. These are things that we all know, that we all believe, that we all affirm. As I was studying this passage this week, uh, the thought came to my mind, what would we as a church actually be like if these were our common convictions? Uh, This passage got your attention, right? Some of the things that John writes here. What What would the church actually be like if these are our common convictions? And my conclusion is that if, if these were our common convictions, it would actually shape the culture of the church. In other words, it would shape the way that we think, the way we relate to each other, the way we speak, kind of the things that we do. And uh, it would really affect the way we pursue our mission of being disciples who love God, love one another, 
and love our neighbors. And so as we go through this passage, I'm going to try to draw out how this this passage might shape the culture here at Faith. So we begin in verse 18, where John basically says, we know that we do not keep on sinning, right? No argument there, right? You can laugh if you'd like. Yeah, this, this isn't always our common experience. Yeah, I quit sinning a long time ago. But uh, I want to understand what John says here. And this really speaks to our expectations about obedience. <clears throat> so John writes this. He says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. So this is the first thing we know, that if we are born of God, uh, we do not keep on sinning. And John says, not just for a few uber-committed Christians, some who have attained a level of maturity. No, everyone who is born of God does not keep on sinning. And again, you're probably sitting there thinking, yeah, this is not actually my experience. I, I do keep on sinning. So in what sense is this true? Now, I want to look at, make, just make three observations from the book of 1 John that we've seen as we've gone along. And I think it will help us hear what John is saying. So first of all, um, John has stressed throughout this letter that when you believe the gospel and you are born of God, something miraculous happens. Uh, You actually become a new creation in Christ. You have new desires. You have new appetites. You have a new capacity to know and please God. And so if you're born of God, you're not just supposed to act like a child of God. You are a child of God. Second, John isn't talking about sinless perfection here. He establishes in chapters one and two that believers do sin. And he says, when we sin, we confess it to God. Instead of hiding in the dark, we bring it into the light and we just admit it. I admit, God, I have sinned. And we experience this fresh cleansing. He's faithful, he's righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love 1 John 2.1 where John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. Okay, that's his goal. He wants us to not sin. But then he says, but if you do we have an advocate before the Father. He's like a defense attorney. Jesus is there, and he's, he's, uh, he's uh, 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 giving a defense when accusations are brought against us. Third thing, third observation is throughout this letter, John saying, if you are born of God, if you are born of God, to one degree or another, you bear the family resemblance, and you seek to be like your Father who is in heaven. In 1 John 4, 8, for example, John wrote, anyone who does not love God does not know God. Why? Because God is love. When you are born of God, you bear the family resemblance and you seek to live it out, especially when it comes to love. And of course, obedience is not automatic. We don't become robots, right? We don't just put our lives in neutral and say, God, move me, use me. No, we engage our wills and in specific situations, we choose to pursue obedience. But our deepest longing is to be like our heavenly father. And so in that context, John says, we know, we all know this, we're all in agreement here that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. And so it's not that we cannot keep on sinning, it's just that we as a people, we do whatever is necessary to put sin behind us. It's as if we changed careers. 
I used to be in the business of sinning. I mean, that's what I did. I loved it. I didn't even know I was sinning most of the time, but I loved it. I lived for it. But now I have a new career, and my career involves loving God. Why? We love him because he first loved us. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So a core aspect of loving God is saying, God, I side with you what you say. I actually believe it. I actually want it. I'm not the kid that says I'm standing up on the outside, but I'm sitting down on the inside. I'm going to do what you say, but I don't want to do it. No, we wholeheartedly say, God, I'm going to side with you. And by your power, I'm going to do your will. Now, notice where, notice where John goes in his logic here. He doesn't go to our strength and our resolve. He's not saying, be more committed, try harder. He goes to God's strength and God's resolve to keep us safe on this path of, of, uh, of uh, obedience. So positively, he writes, he was born of God, protects him. And so John has just referred to believers as those who have been born of God. Highly unlikely that's what he's, who he's talking about here. If that were the case, he would be saying that we keep or we protect ourselves. No. He's talking about Jesus Christ is the one who was born of God. He was born of God in the sense that he was sent from God. He was born of the Holy Spirit. He's the firstborn from the dead. In every sense, he is God's son. He is the unique son of God who became one of us. And so... Um, uh, positively, Jesus protects us and he keeps us on the path of obedience. So it turns out when, when John says that if you're born of God, we know that we don't keep on sinning. He's not giving an ultimatum. He's giving a promise. Jesus protects us positively. Negatively, he says the evil one does not touch us. And that's a euphemism for destroying us. The evil one does not destroy us. We're told in many places in, in Scripture that Satan is a, an intelligent, powerful, spiritual being. He is. Um, but John's point is he is no match for Jesus Christ. The Creator is no match for the Creator. Sure, he prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour, but he is no match for Jesus. As John said, in, or as Paul said in Romans 8, he said, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. So the only reason why we can, uh, we can be those who are born of God cannot keep on sinning is because Jesus is protecting us from the evil one. And so here's our common conviction, okay? This is what we commonly together we agree on. Since we are born of God, we do not keep on sinning. Another way of saying it is because we are born of God, we pursue a path of obedience because Jesus protects us and he keeps us from the evil one. And so this common conviction really sets our expectations of obedience. If this is what God expects, if this is what God has provided, then that's what we pursue. This is what we expect in our lives. So I've got a couple questions for you. First question is this. If you are born of God, are you convinced that God expects you to not keep on sinning? Do you receive that? Do you agree that that is God's expectation? And do you agree that God has provided everything you need to pursue a path of obedience? Again, not that it's easy, not that it's automatic, but do you agree with that? That's what John is saying in this verse. An alternative would be to say, and I... 
absolutely confess, I've thought this at different times in my, in my life. You know, God knows my weakness. He understands me. He doesn't expect me to be perfect. And so if there are areas in my life that don't conform, conform to his will, he's a big boy. He, can, he, he, will, he will let it slide, right? He understands. Or another option, sometimes we think, there are areas in my life that are beyond the reach of God. He cannot reach that far. His grace is not sufficient for that area of my life. I absolutely believe it's, in your, it's true in your life, but if you knew what I've struggled with, you knew my history, you knew my, uh, my lusts, my desires, you would understand that I'm beyond the grace of God in certain areas of my life. No, John says... Our common expectation is that if we're born of God, we do not keep on sinning. We pursue a path of obedience. And so um, we ask the question, the second question, if we do hold the common conviction that we should not keep on sinning, how might that shape the culture of the church? Again, just believing this doesn't make us quit sinning. But how would it make us live our lives, or how would, we, how would we as a church live differently? First of all, I think we would seek God like never before. I mean, we would seek God in a, in a concentrated, focused, serious way like never before. And this is built into the fabric of the universe. Those who seek, find. Those who ask, receive. Those who knock, have the door open to them. And so we would seek God through the word, Right? If we don't see God through the word, we don't even know when we're being obedient. There are things that we're just blind to. We just think, yeah, basically I'm living a good life. And then you read uh, Psalm 19:14, where David says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You're like, oh, God cares about the things that happen in my heart, not just the things that come out of my mouth. That, that will, uh, that's an area of obedience that God wants for us. He wants in the deepest part of our being to honor him. So we seek him through the word so that we'll know what his will is. And we'll seek him through the word so that we'll know how he has provided for us to pursue obedience. And we'll also seek him in prayer, right? Because in prayer, we draw near to the throne of grace. We need a handout. We need a gift, we're not earning anything. We don't deserve anything. We need God to show up in power. And as well, if we, we really affirm this, this common conviction, we'll cultivate deep spiritual friendships in which we help each other get past specific sins in our lives. Deep spiritual friendships are not optional in the body of Christ. They're not optional in any sense. Have you ever tried to get rid of a sin? I mean, a serious sin on your own? Can't do it. You, you need God's grace. You need the help of other believers. You need the help of good brothers and sisters in Christ that you can trust. As we talked about last week, we pray for one another. We confess our sins to one another. We pray for one another so that we might be healed. I can't tell you, I would not be here. I would not be here tonight, today. I would not be walking with God if I didn't have people in my life. I've given the green light. If there's anything you see in my life needs attention, you have the freedom to tell me, and will you pray for me? And so we all need this. We'll, we'll, if we, we have this affirmation, this common conviction, we will take seriously our God-given role in each other's lives. 
The second common conviction is this, verse 19. We know that we are secure. We know that we are secure in God, our Father. Verse 19, we know that we are from God or of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so John is making a statement about the comprehensive ownership of God in the life of the believer. God's promise in the new covenant is I will be your God and you will be my people. And so when God thinks about us as followers of Christ, God, his attitude is, those are my people. Those are my people, okay? That's my tribe. Those are my people. And so uh, he, does, he draws us into this relationship, the new covenant, through the blood of Jesus, the new covenant in his blood. And so at infinite cost to himself and to his son, we are now of God when we believe. We now belong to him eternally. So it's, it, it happens to be the case that he has not left us as orphans. We are not sheep without a shepherd. The opposite is true. He indwells us by his Holy Spirit. He walks, he lives in us, he walks beside us. And so therefore, John wants us to live our lives with the knowledge that we are God's eternal possession. We are secure. By contrast, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Whereas the evil one cannot touch us, can't destroy us. It's like the whole world is lying back in the evil one's arms and just satisfied being there. What's interesting, the only other place in 1 John where the whole world is mentioned is in 1 John 2.2, which says this, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so John wanted his readers, he wants us to understand that Jesus isn't merely the atoning sacrifice for those who currently believe. Now, that's not, that scope is not enough. He is the owner and creator of the entire world. So his, Jesus' propitiation extends to the entire world. He wants all people everywhere to come into this relationship with God. That's why we share the gospel freely with people. And so there's no sense in which John is setting up this hostile adversarial relationship between church people and everybody else. We would not be in the body of Christ if he hadn't taken us out of the domain of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, and put us into the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. And so this verse suggests that our common conviction is that we know that we are secure. We know that we are God's eternal uh, possession because we have been transferred into the kingdom of his son. And this common conviction gives us confidence in the spiritual battle. And the, the New Testament, the entire Bible really would tell us very clearly that a spiritual battle exists. We are all in a spiritual battle, whether we perceive it or not. And sometimes a spiritual battle is very overt, right? I mean, sometimes it is in your face. Uh, sometimes uh, there are physical manifestations that uh, demonic beings will make. Sometimes there are uh, visions and apparitions of evil beings, sometimes accompanied by a uh, vision of Jesus who is stronger. So sometimes the spiritual battle is very very overt, Um, perhaps more times than not. It's very subtle. There are crafty temptations. There are thoughts that just happen to 
come into our mind and we find ourselves going down paths of thinking and we are not aware of the schemes of the enemy. But uh, John is saying here that uh, uh, Jesus wins the battle in our lives. And so our confidence in the spiritual battle comes from realizing that God has already won the war, so he will surely fight the battle, the battles we're in. If he has done the greatest thing of winning the, the war for our hearts, then surely he will fight every battle that we face in real time. And of course, this doesn't mean that we're passive or complacent or flippant. It means that we are alert alert and vigilant. We put on the full armor of God because we know that Jesus will fight our battles. We put on the armor, that these are these, the armor in Ephesians 6 are these basic, these basic disciplines that are effective in every realm. Uh, faith, we believe in faith. Salvation, righteous living, the gospel, the word of God. Prayer. These are things that are effective in the spiritual battle. They're not some hyped up, amped up way of living. These disciplines are are effective in the spiritual realm. And one way that this confidence in, in, in the midst of the spiritual battle can shape the culture of the church is it gives us freedom from strongholds. And a stronghold is basically when you say to the enemy of your souls, hey, here's an area of my life. I'm giving you permission to make it your playground, okay? Do what you want. Just have your way. When this, when this, this stronghold is taken back, uh, we trust that Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for our full salvation, will give us freedom from this stronghold. And we just declare, Satan, you have no, you have no place here. You have no right. Uh, I don't belong to you. I'm God's eternal possession. And if, as a people, just broadly we're experiencing this freedom, I mean, it will change the culture of the church. We will, this will be a place where we experience shalom, genuine wholeness, freedom, peace, joy in, uh, in our lives and in our fellowship more broadly. The third common conviction is this. We know that we know the true God. We know that we know the true God. One of the core truths that John emphasizes throughout this letter is that Jesus is the Son of God who came in the flesh. And so in this verse, in verse 20, John uh, represents this as a common conviction, something that we, all of us as believers, we absolutely know. We know that he came, we know he came historically, and we understand it spiritually. Look at verse 20. He says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Beginning with John 1, 1, 1 John 1, 1, John says, you know, this Jesus I'm talking about, uh, he has actually come in the flesh. And so Jesus isn't merely an idea He's not a concept that his followers or somebody made up after the fact and kind of molded into this son of God image. He says, no, we saw him with our eyes. We heard him with our ears. We touched him with our hands. Jesus has come in the flesh. Furthermore, he says, he has given us understanding so that we know him who is true, meaning God. And when it says him who's true, he's talking about true in the sense of being real or being genuine. 
So he's saying, we actually know the true God. He's given us this understanding so that we know the genuine God. You may remember that some had left the church and they now had a different view of Jesus. They were preaching a different gospel. They had a different teaching about who Jesus was and what he had accomplished. And so John is telling them, when you hear a different gospel, you don't need to be intimidated. You don't need to ponder it. You don't need to be thrown into confusion. We know that we know the true God because Jesus has given us understanding. We, give, we understand the true God, and so we recognize counterfeits when they come. Very easy to recognize when somebody has a different gospel. And John says that we not only know that we know him who is true, but we are in him who is true, God, and we are in his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, we have the closest possible association that we can have uh, with the one true God. Whereas the world lies in the power of the evil one, believers are in God and in Christ. And John finishes this verse by declaring this, as this is probably one of the clearest statements in the entire New Testament about the divinity of Jesus Christ. He says of Jesus, he is the true God and eternal life. And John obviously heard this from Jesus. Jesus said, uh, I and the Father are one. And so you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he's the true God. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Eternal life is found in me. And so John says, Jesus is the true God and eternal life. And so our common conviction is this, that we know that we know the true God. And this common conviction gives us confidence about the gospel, confidence about the gospel instead of this tentative, hesitant, yeah, I think I understand the gospel. I think I believe it. I think I have eternal life. No, we know that we know the one true living God. And this is John's purpose in this whole book, right? He says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not presumptuous. It's not arrogant to know that you have eternal life. Now, this is, this is, this is the security that God wants us to have, that we know that we know him we can always, we always have room to grow in terms of our application of the gospel, but when it comes to the gospel itself, we can know that we understand the truth. And if we have this common conviction, if we as a people, we know that we know God, this will shape the culture of the church in at least a couple of ways. First of all, if we know that we know God, we will seek God with more confidence. It's just like in any relationship, if you are absolutely certain about somebody's love and acceptance of you, you'll relate to them very different. If you believe God is all, if you view if your relationship with God, if you feel like I'm always on probation, I'm just one sin away from being on the street on my own, man, you're not gonna approach the throne of grace with boldness. You're not gonna ask uh, freely and with great faith. And so if we, we have this confidence in the gospel, then we will, we will seek God differently. And second, our confidence about the gospel will give us the freedom to share the gospel with more confidence. If we're not convinced, we're not going to be convincing. In reality, we're not really going to share the gospel if we're not convinced that we know God. And if we do, it, it will be in a very technical, matter of fact, uh, informational type of way. That's very different 
in sharing the gospel because I want to tell you about somebody that I know. I always think back to when I, when I came to Christ. I was 20 years old. I was a sophomore in college. And uh, I grew up in South Mississippi, and I think probably 90% of the people that I knew went to church. So I know lots, I knew lots of church people, but I'm not, I'm not sure this was the 60s and the 70s, a long time ago, but I'm not sure that I knew many people that would say, yeah, I know that I know God. But I met these guys, these three guys, and they, and, uh, they befriended me, and I started playing basketball with them on Friday afternoons, and then I started hanging out at their apartment, and then I came to a Bible study. And basically, this was their, this was their attitude. We know that we know God, and you can know that you know God. And I'm like, yes, I'm all in. I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen this type of life. I've never seen this type of joy. It was the most natural thing in the world. I didn't need to be convinced me with arguments. I know somebody that some people do. But uh, it was just the most natural thing. Of course, I want life. I want the life that you're living. And so here at Faith, we just so long to be that type of church where we're just full of people that have this, this conviction. We know that we know God, and we know that he's true. And so I want that for all my friends. I want that for my family. I want that for everybody that I know. And so I'm not going to share Christ because I'm supposed to. I am supposed to. But I'm going to share Christ because I just can't not talk about it. It's just the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. How can I not want that for you? And so, God, we ask that you would make us people with the type of faith to believe these things that John is writing, where we would know that we know you, and it would just be the delight of our heart, and it would just flow from us, that we would know that we're secure, that we would take you at your word, that, that we, we belong to you, you're, we're, we're your possession for eternity. And God, we pray that we would be people that we just, we just know that we don't continue in sin, not because we can't, but God, we just, we just don't want to. We, we want to please you. We want to love you. We want to pour out our lives for you. And so, God, we pray that you would, would just burn these convictions on our hearts. We pray that we would gladly, gladly adopt these as our common convictions. To your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Would you stand and sing with us?